0: I want to pray one more time. Um, we have two more commandments after this morning, and then we're going to continue on in Exodus about halfway through. And I hope you're enjoying it. It's good to be together. Amen? Amen. All right, well, let's pray one more time. Father, we know that this is a day of mourning for our nation, a day of remembering, a day of sadness. Father, we want to take the opportunity to lift up our nation. First of all, we want to pray for the church in America. We pray that pastors who have been called to preach your word would not give in to the temptation to preach a message that our culture would find attractive, but rather we pray that pastors throughout our nation, those who are preaching your word today and and week in and week out, would be faithful to the scriptures that they would seek your glory and not man's approval. We pray that the gospel would go forward and that you would save many. Father, we pray for our leaders. We pray for our president, uh, Joe Biden. We pray for our governor, for Greg Abbott. We pray for our mayor, Mark Hicks. We pray for these men that they would fear you, Lord, that they would love Jesus and treasure him as king and that they would not look to the world for wisdom but to your word. Surround each of these men with godly counselors, men that can speak your truth to them. And Father, we do pray for those who are hurting today, those who are suffering, that they would find comfort in your word and in the hope that is found in Christ alone. And Father, as we continue our study in your word in Exodus, again, we pray together in Jesus' name that you would open our eyes to behold wonderful things In your word, remove distractions this morning. Help us to hear well, to hear clearly your truth. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would apply that truth deep into the recesses of our hearts and that it would lead to change and greater degrees of Christ-likeness. And we ask these sayings in your name and for your glory, King Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. All right, so again, this kind of mini-series with an exodus, Kingdom Rules, as we're looking at the Ten Commandments. Uh, The title for my sermon this morning is Gospel Stewardship. Here's the big idea. We have been saved by a generous Savior to practice generosity. We have been saved by a generous Savior to practice generosity. I want to begin our time. um, This is a bit different, but I want to begin by going to Luke 19. I want to read the story of Nicodemus. Who's familiar with that story? It's about 10 verses in Luke 19, and I want us to pay careful attention because what was Nicodemus before he encountered the living Christ? He was not just a tax collector, but a, a thief, a thief. He took advantage of people. So let's read about Nicodemus. If you want to turn to Luke 19, starting in verse 1. If you got it, say, I'm there. Nobody's got it. You're there. Okay, good. All right, he, Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. I said Nicodemus, didn't I? I'm sorry. We're not in John 3. I know that passage really well. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. You guys are like, what? Nicodemus, he was a Pharisee, right? He goes in secret. Man, you guys will never listen to me again. Wasn't it Moses' ark? Oh, no, it was Noah. Yeah. You've done that, haven't you? Okay, I'm sorry. Lo Lo siento. At least I caught it. You guys are so gr- I didn't hear anybody correct me. Come on, church. Be bold. All right. Can we start over? Yeah. Hey, if you're a first-time guest, I'm sorry. <laughs> and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. That's the name. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. And as I'm reading this, many of you are singing the song in your minds, I know. (laughs) So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner? When the gospel, when the Savior, right? Jesus Christ. But this is what happens when the gospel penetrates the heart and life of a sinner. In Jesus, Zacchaeus found forgiveness and transformation. The result of a saving encounter with Jesus Christ is gospel generosity. Now, I want us to look at four things today Number one, the problem with stealing. The problem. What's the big deal? What's the problem with stealing? Number two, the heart of stealing. What is at the heart of stealing? Stealing is, it's really diagnostic. It it reveals the heart, what's going, when we take something that doesn't belong to us, it reveals a lot about our heart. Okay, so I'm going to talk about stealing as a diagnostic tool. Uh, I'm not saying go do it. Uh, don't do it. But if you do do it, this is what it reveals. So that's number two, the heart of stealing. Number three, the solution to stealing. What is the solution to stealing? And number four, the gospel alternative to stealing. All right. So our text, Exodus twenty fifteen: You shall not, shall not steal. Let's start with number one: the problem with stealing. Now, the eighth commandment seems pretty straightforward. Don't take what doesn't belong to you. And parents, we say that to our kids often, right? That doesn't belong to you. Don't take that. Your your brother, your sister was playing with that. That's stealing. But that is not the extent of the Eighth Commandment. Now, tell me if you agree with this. Because of sin, because of sin, we often settle for the bare minimum application of God's Word. Why? Why? Because we fear, I believe this is true, even of Christians. We settle for the bare minimum application. We don't want to go deeper because we fear that a fuller understanding of the text may prevent us from enjoying some of our secret sins. The sinful heart loves the old adage, ignorance is bliss. Well, I don't want us to be ignorant. I want us to know that we know what this is commandment means and it may surprise some of you again with all the commandments especially the second half you think you're doing pretty well until you realize what actually is being covered and you're like wow i'm I'm not i'm i'm indicted by this word i need again what's the point of the law the point of the law is to indict sinners the law is good it's holy i'm thankful for the law it can't save us it reveals our need for a savior okay so get ready to be indicted (laughs) <laughs> now, the verb used here is ganaph. Ganaph. and it means to steal, to rob, or to deceive. And again, to steal is to take something that doesn't belong to you without permission. Now, Philip Ryken, he's written this massive commentary on Exodus, and it's really a pastor's commentary, it's really good, but he says gnaf, stealing, covers All conventional types of theft. And he lists burglary, which is, you know, breaking into a home to commit theft. Robbery, which is taking property from another using violence or intimidation. Larceny, hijacking. You're thinking that should be it. No. Shoplifting. And then he says the term gnaf also covers a wide range of exotic and complex thefts, such as... Embezzlement, which is the fraudulent taking of money or other goods entrusted to one's care. There's extortion, getting money from someone by means of misuse, or racketeering, obtaining money by any illegal means. And maybe that's helpful. You're like, wow, it covers a lot. It doesn't cover everything. We're at the tip of the iceberg right now, okay? I think what'll be helpful here is if we go back and look at this commandment in context. Okay, so you gotta, hopefully you realize why for Israel, and even for us today, why is it so foolish to steal? Why was it foolish for Israel to commit theft? Because God had demonstrated his gracious provision again and again. Let, let's just do a little review here. This will be helpful. Up to this point, up to Exodus 20, God has already provided salvation through substitution, right? The Passover, the sacrificial lamb. He's provided bread from heaven. He's provided water from the rock. He now provides his word by which he means to rule over his people. He's provided for their physical and spiritual needs. Are they lacking anything? I mean, has God proven Himself? Has He shown Himself to be a generous and faithful provider? The answer is yes. Israel had every reason to trust the Lord for His gracious provision and no reason not to. To still, therefore, to still, therefore, would be an abandonment of trust in Yahweh. So what's wrong with theft? What's wrong with theft? Well, practically, right, God's redemptive plan has always included a rescued people, a community of believers. And what is this community called that we're a part of? The church, right? This is God's plan. God rescues people to be together because together we put the triune God on display for his glory. This community, right, cannot function where theft is present why theft is the great enemy to trust and without trust no community can survive right no relationship can flourish without trust and if we're stealing from each other if we're taking from each other can we have trust no can we have community no when we steal we are robbing others of god's provision and blessing and that that's heavy I love James. James 1:17. James writes, every good and every perfect gift is from, from above. Comes from who? Comes from God. God's generous, amen. He gives good gifts, and we're thankful. James goes on to write, these good gifts coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation of shadow due to change. So when we steal for personal glory and gain, which I would argue is at the heart of all theft, right? When we steal, we're stealing for personal glory, personal gain. When we do that, we are ignoring God. (sighs) To be human is to be a steward, amen? To be human is to be a steward. The fact that I'm here, I, I did nothing to deserve that, right? It's all because of the Lord. So there's an expectation for all of us. I mean, who do we belong to? We belong to God. So therefore, we are born as stewards. And what do we owe God? Everything. Amen. Good answer. Everything. I hope your kids heard that. Everything. Everything. Our lives and all that we have belong to God. I'm trying to paint a big picture here of why theft is so ugly. Therefore, to take from others is to ultimately take from God because everything belongs to who? Everything belongs to God. To sin against other image bearers is to ultimately sin against God. If we ignore God, then we are being poor stewards. Walt Kaiser, um, he was the the president of the seminary that I attended a long time ago now. He's a great Old Testament scholar. Sounds like Yogi Bear when he talks. Maybe I've mentioned that. So cute. This commandment he writes, and I think you'll agree with this. Walt Kaiser said this commandment, the Eighth Commandment, recognizes That the Lord owns what? Everything. The Lord owns everything in heaven and on earth. And only he can give it or take it away. Only he has the right to give it or take it away. Now, I want you to remember these two verses, okay? Psalm 24, verse 1. Listen to this. Write this down. I don't think I put this in your notes. I should have. I apologize. Two apologies today. One for getting Zacchaeus' name wrong. Two, for not including these two texts in your notes. So write down Psalm 24, 1. The earth is the Lord's. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and those who dwell therein. It all belongs to God, okay? And then you get to Psalm 50, verse 10. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. We'll come back to this. And That's why I said write it down. Remember that. More on this short. Number two, the heart of stealing. The heart of stealing. Why do people steal? What's happening in the human heart when theft occurs? Let's start with Jesus. And we, we've, I think every commandment, at least in the second half of the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, we've started with Mark 7. Mark 7, 21, Jesus states, For from within, out of the heart of man, so again, it's a heart issue, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, theft. Why do people steal? (laughs) Because they're sinners. Well, yeah, that's true. But why do people steal? Whether it's from work, the department store, our neighbors, the government, or even online. To steal, and I hope you write this down or at least remember this, to steal is the result of ignoring the first half of the Ten Commandments. To steal is a refusal. When you're stealing, something's happening in your heart. It is a refusal to be fully satisfied in the Lord and to recognize his supreme worth. That's really what's established in the first half of the Ten Commandments. God is holy. God is worthy. He will fully satisfy you. But when you steal, you're saying, I don't believe that. I need A, B, and C to be satisfied. And I'm going to take it. No matter who it hurts, because I need that to be happy. But that's not what God's word says. In order to be fulfilled eternally, who do we need? We need the Lord. We need Christ. When we still, we're looking away from the Lord to other things. Buying into the lie that these other things and the illegal seizure of these things is paramount to my happiness. Theft is idolatry. That's really what's going on. Theft is is idolatry. When you're stealing, you're feeding your idols. So let's examine the human heart. I'm going to go quick here, okay? i got seven things I want to share with us. Seven things. Again, I mentioned this at the beginning. Theft, I sound like Daffy Duck when I said that. Theft, theft is a diagnostic tool. When you steal, it reveals the state of your heart, okay? Seven things here. How many? Seven. All right, number one. Actually, I, I did num- uh, letters, so eight. Stealing, if you're taking notes, there's some blanks you can fill in. Stealing originates in a heart that is greedy and lazy. At the heart of all theft is greed. At the heart of all theft is laziness. And greed is motivated by a desire to be fulfilled outside of Jesus. Let me say it one more time. Greed is motivated by a desire to be fulfilled outside of who? Outside of Jesus. We still to fill a void that only Jesus can satisfy. Okay, so let's go back to the Garden of Eden here. There in the Garden of Eden, God lovingly provided for Adam and Eve. With He gave them all they needed, right? I mean, he gave them everything they needed, and then he called them to work, And he called them to work for his glory and for the good of one another. Mankind was made to be satisfied in the Lord. And mankind was commissioned to work for the spread of his glory and the good of others. Because of sin, these things got turned upside down. We now look to, because of sin, God's creation, rather than the creator. We look to God's creation for fulfillment And we now reject work, right? We reject work seeking an easier path for the things we need, even if that means taking from others, abusing others, or taking advantage of others. B. Stealing originates in a heart that is not satisfied in the Lord. I mentioned this earlier, but it's worth saying again. At the heart of all theft is idolatry. When we steal, we are feeding our idols, In stealing, we are looking to money or other possessions to fill the void and bring satisfaction where only the Lord can. Again, when we steal, we are seeking to feed our idols, and our idols are hungry. They are. See, stealing originates in a heart that loves self. Loves self. I say this all the time. We are by nature glory stealers, aren't we? We want glory. We love it. We want recognition. But what were we made for? We were made not to receive glory, but to to give glory. We foolishly try to take what doesn't belong to us, which is glory. We steal to make a name for ourselves. We steal to get ahead. We steal to feel important. We are selfish. This is mankind's greatest heist. Again, theft goes back to the Garden of Eden. And it occurs at two levels. This is helpful at two levels. One, Adam and Eve, in eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, were seeking what did not belong to them. God said, do not eat from this tree. What does that tell you? This is not good. This is not wise. Hands off. This doesn't belong to you. Second, Adam and Eve were seeking to usurp God's place of authority. What was the lie of Satan? If you eat, you can become like God, rendering God superfluous. Hey, guess what? If you eat, the devil's saying, you can be God. You don't need God. You can get the glory. You can be first place. Did first place belong to Adam and Eve? Who does it belong to only? The Lord. Again, they were seeking God's glory for themselves. The sin of theft is as old as the Garden of Eden, and it touches all of our sin. And this brings us to the issue of stewardship. Again, I made the point earlier, we are all stewards. So D, stealing originates in a heart that ignores stewardship. Man, this quote from Alistair Begg is so good. He says, when we use, listen to this, when, I should have wrote this down in your notes, I'm sorry. I did give you one though, it's really good. When we use our breath to magnify ourselves, rather than giving him the glory that he alone deserves, we steal from him. When we use our breaths to praise ourselves, and not God, what are we doing? We're committing theft. He goes on to say, when we fail to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice and spend our time in personal self-indulgence, we steal from him. I'm going to talk about this later, okay? You know what we're really good at, friends? We're really good at stealing time. Who does our time belong to? It's God's time. But what do we often say? Especially guys, we get home from work, we're tired. This is my time. I want to sit back, veg, relax. Do what I want to do because it's my time. That's a lie. It's not your time. All time. Oh, this is so good. Tim Chalice said this in his book. Time is something we'll never get back, right? If you lose money, you can eventually get that money back. You can work hard. You can put in overtime. But time is something you'll never get back. Once it's gone, it's, it's gone. But time is what? It's God's. So let's spend it well. And when we don't, we're stealing from God. I hope that was a face punch of sorts. It is for me. You're like, "Oh my goodness, I didn't think of that." Like, yeah, I mean that that is if if time is God's and I'm not spending it for him and his glory, I'm using it selfishly for my own wants and needs, then I'm stealing from God. Lord, help me. Stewardship. We were made to offer our whole selves to God for worship. And because of sin, we seek to eclipse God's glory with our own. We steal what alone belongs to God. Eat. Who's with me? Eat. All right, good. Stealing. And I think this is probably the most clear. I think this is the one that we're all going to say, yeah, I figured you were going to go here. Stealing originates in a heart that doesn't trust the Lord. Theft. This is what theft is at the end of the day. Theft is an attempt to sinfully take matters into our own hands. Rather than trusting the Lord's provision, one simply takes. Right? I don't trust that God's going to provide, so I'm just going to take. Those who steal are ruled by anxiety rather than the peace of God. Those who steal fail to pray and practice Matthew 6.11, which Aaron, where are you, Aaron? You prayed earlier. What is Matthew 6.11? Give us this day our daily bread. This is a prayer of trust. And when we steal, we're not trusting the Lord. Is true? F. Two more. F. Stealing originates in a heart that has no interest in true worship. Think of that. Stealing originates in a heart that has no interest in true worship. Now, how does that work? This is going to be so clear. Man, God's, when God provides for us, when we patiently wait for God's provision and he provides, it gives us an opportunity to do what? To worship him, to praise him. But when we take matters into our own hands, not only are we not trusting God, but we're saying, God, I have no desire to worship you. In a sense, we're robbing God. We're robbing ourselves. We're being fools, by the way. And I've been a fool. God's provision and our recognition of that provision provides us with opportunities, sweet opportunities for worship and thanksgiving. When we enjoy his gifts, we acknowledge the giver. Amen? When we enjoy his gifts, we acknowledge the giver. When we steal, we are not... Interested in trusting the Lord, and therefore, we are not concerned about true worship. And then finally, G. I'm going to come back to this as well. G. Stealing originates in a heart that feels entitled. Entitlement is the antithesis of grace. Entitlement is the antithesis of grace. Those who are entitled argue that they deserve grace. (laughs) Right? In fact, those who are entitled take what doesn't belong to them, right? Because they feel like they deserve it. Entitlement, oh, it's so dangerous. Entitlement refuses to acknowledge sin and Christ's saving work for sinners. Entitlement is diametrically opposed to the gospel. Let me summarize. That was a lot, okay? A through G. It's like seven things. In sum... Stealing originates from a heart that is not satisfied in the Lord, loves self, ignores stewardship, doesn't trust the Lord, has no interest in worship, and is, what was the last one? Entitled. All right. The solution. Is there a solution? We're all thieves, all of us. Is there a solution for sinners like us? Amen. Yes, there is. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's talk about a proper understanding of the gospel. The gospel teaches us, thankfully, that we are, in fact, sinners. We were created, all of us, in God's image to reflect and spread his glory. But because of sin, we have fallen in love with our own glory. <laughs> we foolishly attempt to steal what rightfully belongs to God. The gospel thankfully reveals our sin, our desperate state because of sin, and the solution to sin found at the cross of Jesus Christ and his empty tomb. And is that tomb empty? Oh! The gospel calls us to trust in Jesus for salvation. But is it a one-time trust? Is it we trust Jesus and then we just kind of go on? No. We continue to trust Him for our daily bread. And the gospel teaches us to seek not our glory, but His glory in all that we do. Do do you see? Everything that theft reveals is solved by the gospel. Entitlement, glory-seeking, lack of trust. The gospel is the remedy to those things. Amen? Oh, God is good. We, as believers, trust in the Lord for salvation from sin, and we continue to trust in the Lord for daily provision of grace. Our trust in the Lord carries over into everyday living. He is the sovereign Lord. In him all things hold together. He is the author of life and the sustainer of the universe. How dare we steal? (laughs) He's all that we need. Amen? He's all that we need. Matthew 6, 25 to 33. Let me read this in its entirety. Jesus says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. I made the point earlier, when we steal, we're being ruled by anxiety and not by peace, right? i got to have it. If I don't have it, I'm not going to be satisfied. Having that is paramount to my happiness, and so i got to take it. Well, you're ruled by anxiety and not by the peace that is found in Christ. So Jesus says, therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body or what you will put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Amen. In And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. What did I say? The lilies of the field. Lilies. How they grow, (laughs) they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Verse 30. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven... Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. The gospel changes our outlook. Amen? Amen? Don't we see differently now because of the work of Christ in our lives? We now trust the Lord and we now seek His glory, not ours, in all that we do. We now, as believers, trust Him for our daily bread. The gospel, like a ninja sword, cuts at the feet of our entitlement. It exposes the folly of entitlement, the lie that we deserve good, namely God's grace. The gospel teaches us that we deserve what? Hell, God's everlasting wrath and punishment because we're lawbreakers. We've sinned against a holy God. So a proper understanding of the gospel precludes, it prevents entitlement. We are called, friends, to crucify our entitlement at the cross. And furthermore, the gospel exposes the lie that anything other than Christ can satisfy the deep longings of our heart. Again, why do we still? We still to fill a void. We still because we foolishly think that these other things can do what? They can bring us peace and joy and satisfaction. They can't and they won't. Only Christ can satisfy because only Christ can meet our ultimate need which is reconciliation to a holy and loving God. Amen. And once that need has been met, oh, everything else is just icing on the cake. I told you I'd come back to stewardship. And this is I mean, who wants to be good stewards? I mean, who wakes up thinking, you know, I, I really I don't want to be a good steward. I just want to spend my life and my money, God's resources, unwisely. Nobody! I hope none of you wake up thinking that. So let's talk about a proper understanding, a gospel understanding, a biblical understanding of stewardship. This is hugely important. This is what the Word of God reveals. This will protect our hearts against greed, namely when we realize that everything we have, some things... No, everything we have from each breath to the salvation we enjoy in Christ to the clothes that we wear to the lunch we're going to enjoy today but don't think about that yet because we're not done. We're not there yet. To the money sitting in our bank accounts, it's all from It's all from God. It's all from the Lord. And more than that, not only is it from him, it is his. It is his. The Christian view of economic theory is based on passages like, and I I said I wish I would put these in your notes, Psalm 24 and Psalm 50, which teach us, what do those two passages teach us? Everything belongs to who? It belongs to God. The Christian can never say mine. How dare we say mine? We can never say that. It's his. And it's to be used for his glory and not our own. Biblical stewardship honors the Lord. Amen? It seeks to honor the Lord. Biblical stewardship acknowledges God as the owner and the generous provider of everything we have. It's been given to us for a wonderful and glorious purpose, and that purpose is to glorify Him. Skip Ryan writes, In Capitalism, The money is yours to do with it what you want. In socialism, it belongs to the state. In Christianity, it's God's. And it must be used as he directs. And where do we go to see how God wants us to use everything he's given us? We go to the word. But this really starts with our lives. Amen? It starts with our lives. As Christians, we have been graciously made to see that we are not our own. But as Paul says, we've been bought with a a price. We've been, Chris, redeemed. Amen? We've been redeemed. We belong to Christ, and we're for him now. We're for his glory. That's why we exist. We've been saved for that purpose. How dare we say mine? It's mine for my glory and for my selfish purposes. No, it's his And everything that I have is His, and it belongs to Him, and I want to use it for His glory and His fame. In sum, and then our last point, the solution to theft, the solution to stealing, is to trust Jesus. Everybody say, trust Jesus. Both for salvation, amen, and for our daily needs. To be satisfied in Jesus and to embrace biblical stewardship. I hate to be corny here, but an attitude of gratitude. Biblical stewardship, and I mean, I say that because it's, it's, you'll remember it. I mean, come on. If I said attitude of thankfulness, you might, okay. But biblical, at the heart of biblical stewardship is an attitude of gratitude. Gratitude in the Lord's provision in a new desire to apply His provision for His glory in the good of others. All right, the last thing is, number four, the gospel alternative to stealing. If not stealing, then what? <laughs> What's the opposite of stealing? Two things here I want to mention. A, be generous with your money and your time. Invest in heaven. What does that mean? Invest in heaven. Well, if you're only thinking about this life and investing in this life, those things are not going to last. What is going to last? Forever. Heavenly investments. So, as Christians, we should desire to invest where? In, in heaven. Let's look to Christ and his example. I hope you know this text. This is 2 Corinthians 8 9. Paul says, For you know, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sake, for my sake, he became what? Oh, he became poor. Why? So that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Christ, Jesus, is the epitome of generosity. He gave his life. Amen? He gave his life for sinners like us. So as imitators of Christ... We are to do what? If, if Christ is the epitome of generosity, as imitators of Christ, we should seek to be generous with our money and with our... Because, again, stewardship covers not just our money, but our time, which is a gift from God. We are called, Christians, if you're a believer, we are called, church, to give generously, to support the gospel, gospel ministries in the local church and beyond. We are called to give generously, not just of our finances, but of our time to serve our fellow believers. Amen? I mean, why do we do Wednesday nights? Wednesday nights is about stewardship. We're seeking to steward our time well to serve this body. Amen? Generosity is what the gospel produces in God's people. Matthew six nineteen to 21, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures where? In heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy. I can't, I can't talk today. What did I just say? Roth? Goodness gracious. Y'all are so gracious today. No one brought rotten fruit or anything. Thank you where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, oh, there your heart will be also. I think this is going to be helpful, And helpful illustration. You're ready. If you're you're falling asleep, wake up! Those who steal are nearsighted. Those who steal are nearsighted. Meaning, They are unable to see beyond this life. They are limited in their vision. You know, when John Calvin talked about conversion, he talked about the spectacles of faith. We're given new vision when we're saved. We see the world differently. The gospel gives us new lenses. Amen? We now see, friends, from an eternal perspective. We now see the wisdom and the worth of, of investing in glory, giving our time and our money to see God's kingdom expand. We imitate our Lord when we give generously. So don't be nearsighted. Play the long game. Invest in those things which will pay eternal dividends. Amen? So think about... Again, the opposite of stealing is being generous with our time, our money. How can I invest my life? What God has given, it's all his. How can I invest those things in heaven? Isn't that how we should think? And and I think the reason we don't oftentimes is because we've bought into the lie of the world. And I'll come back to that here shortly. B, the second thing is work hard. (laughs) That sounds so simple, but work hard! Work hard! Stealing is so much easier today because so many people are able to work from home remotely. There's the temptation to steal time from one's employer, right? Because of easy access to the internet, there's the temptation, and I've seen this, to steal sermons. I had a buddy in seminary. His younger brother was a youth pastor. I hope he's watching this. He would rip off Piper sermons, and he would never quote him. I was like, what are you doing? Oh, life's busy. What do we call that when you take something that doesn't belong to you and pawn it off as your own? That's plagiarism. It's theft. Ephesians 4.28. Sorry, it wasn't my friend. It was his younger brother, so he knows. Ephesians 4.28. We're almost done. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, let him work doing honest work with his own what? Hands Why, so that he may have something to share with others, anyone in need. What's the historical background here? So thievery, I don't know if you knew this, but thievery was common in the first century in Asia Minor. Why? Because most work was seasonal. So when the planting season was over, I mean, people became desperate. We got to make money somehow so they would steal. Stealing became almost a, a societal norm, but It was a big deal. It was punished. And what does Paul say about stealing? In 1 Corinthians 6.10, he states that thieves will not inherit the kingdom of God. Rather than stealing, what does Paul say? Rather than stealing, Paul encourages the church believers to work hard and honestly so that they may have what? The ability to help others in need. Paul's not only calling for a change in action, but a change in motivation for this action. Rather than stealing, we should work. And rather than working merely to satisfy our own needs, we should work so that we have something to share with others. This is a visible expression of our love for one another. Now again, let's go back to the world. And I said I would do this. The world, more often than not, views money or earnings as the end goal. What's the motto of the world? He who dies with the most toys wins, right? That's the mantra of our age. The Christian, the follower of Christ, the church, is to view money earnings as a means to an end. Our thinking should be, how can I use what God has blessed me with through my hard work that he has enabled me to do to bless others and expand his kingdom? Man, this quote from John Wesley, I I think you're going to follow me until the last part. I'm just kidding. I think you're all going to. Yes, amen. So Wesley said, work as hard as you can. Somebody say amen. All right, work as hard as you can. Amen. Make as much as you can. Woo! (laughs) That was cute. Then give as much as you can. What? (laughs) I love that though, right? Work as hard as you can, make as much as you can, and then give as much as you can. And this goes back to generosity. The point of working hard is so that God's people might give. We work hard to honor God, and we work hard so that we can invest in kingdom things. Amen? We can invest in those things that are going to pay eternal dividends. Are you giving to the church? Are you giving to the church? And not just financially, but are you giving of your time to serve this body? Those things, my friends, will pay eternal dividends. I did put this quote in our notes. This was so helpful, and I don't know how I could have said this any better. I probably can't. can't. R. Kent Hughes writes, every time I give, I declare that my money doesn't control me. Isn't that right? When you let something go, that doesn't control me. So he's saying, when I give, I declare that my money doesn't control me. But this is the part I really like. He says, perpetual generosity, ongoing generosity is a perpetual deification of money. Every time I give, I'm saying money's not my God. It doesn't control me. Isn't that good? Our generosity is indicative of our heart. 1 John 3, 16 and 17. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Friends, be satisfied in Jesus and his saving work and work hard so that you, we, can sow generously into God's kingdom and help others in need. Invest in, and that which will last forever. You know, did you guys realize there's no plan B? Do you know what God's plan A is for reaching the world with the gospel and growing his people in Christ's likeness? What's his plan A? There's no plan B. It's the local church. How dare we not invest in the local church? It's God's plan A. If we're not investing in the local church, what are we saying to God? God, I know better. Uh, You know, your plan A, you you should have had a contingency plan, God. No, there is no contingency plan. The gates of hell will not prevail. I mean, don't you want to be found investing in God's plan A? And what is his plan A? The local church. How do we do that? Giving of our time and our money. I say that unabashedly. Our response to the eighth commandment reveals our hearts. Those who take what doesn't belong to them show that they don't trust the Lord and that they're looking to other things for lasting fulfillment. Jesus rescues his people so that their souls will be eternally satisfied in him. And he transforms us by the Holy Spirit so that we'll live like him, lives marked by gospel generosity, sacrificial giving. Let me conclude with this. The law, although good and holy. Again, the law reveals a good and holy God. Amen? I'm thankful for the law. But the law is meant to indict us. I mean, can the law save us? Paul said if it could, then Christ died for nothing. And none of us would dare say that. The law is good. It reveals a good and holy God, but it doesn't save us. It can't. It indicts us. Meaning it reveals a holy God And his holy standard in the reality that all of us have fallen short. We've broken that standard. Therefore, the law drives us to the Savior. Amen? And then, everybody say and then. When the Savior's work is by grace appropriated and applied by faith, it transforms the sinner, enabling him or her to now do the law. We can love God. We can love neighbor. Amen? Now, are we saved by doing those things? No, we're saved to do those things. There's a difference. Again, the gospel not only provides forgiveness for those who break the law, which is all of us, but the gospel provides power, transformation, and new motive to obey it. Again, not to earn God's favor, but to express gratitude in obedience to the Savior King Jesus Christ. I want to ask this question, and then I'll pray. How have you responded to the one who was eternally rich and yet became poor for our sakes? How have you... I mean, listen. Do you understand... Do we understand what Jesus did? The eternal Son of God, existing in perfect triune fellowship, in glory, Father, Son, Holy Spirit left that, became poor, died to save sinners like us, who weren't saying, hey, please, we weren't writing letters, come! We were saying, we don't need you. We were shaking our fists at him, and yet he came in love to save us. Amen? So how have you responded to that good news, that he who was eternally rich became poor so that we could be eternally rich? I'm not talking about, you know, money and I'm talking about rich, spiritually satisfied forever in the love of God through Jesus Christ. Recall Jesus' words in Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Have you acknowledged your spiritual bankruptcy? Have you acknowledged your spiritual bankruptcy, your inability to solve your own spiritual plight? Have you trusted in Jesus? Have you looked in faith to the only one who can make you rich spiritually, Jesus Christ? To be spiritually rich is to be right with God by trusting in Jesus Christ. Have you done that? If not, I would plead, beg, turn from your sin, get off the throne, trust in Jesus Christ, the one true king who lived and died and rose again to save sinners like us. And if you have trusted in Him, then imitate Him. Give generously of your time and money to see His name and His kingdom go forward. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank You that in Your gospel we learn that, God, You are generous. We thank You that You gave Your best so that we could have Your best. And I pray for those of us who have trusted in Jesus that we would imitate our generous Savior by giving of our money and our time, our resources, acknowledging that they're not ours, they're yours, and that, Father, we would seek to spend our lives and spend those things well, investing in eternal things for your glory, not our own. Father, make us aware of our idols today. Help us to repent. Save the lost. And it's in Christ's name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. Amen.